Hello everyone, uh, it's nice to be together and uh, if you're joining us online, nice to have you online as well, a bit later in the day than usual, but you know, better late than never. Um, I hope you've got a Bible here in front of you, we're going to do some Bible work tonight in this passage. Uh, if you've got one at home, get it out uh, because you'll find it useful. Uh, let me pray for us as we dig in. Lord God, it's so good to be together, so good to have your word to speak to us. Uh, thanks for this beautiful time of the year. And we pray that the stuff that we get to think about together tonight would be really helpful for us thinking about uh, us and our walk with Jesus and uh, trusting him. I pray that in his name. Amen. Well, so much of Christmas is about waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting for the good stuff to finally arrive. I think we feel this maybe most acutely when we're a kid, cast your mind back to when you were a little one. You wait for ages for the school holidays to finally come, because then you know that Christmas is getting close. And then you have to wait and wait and wait for the day itself to arrive. And then if your parents are like me, then you have to wait and wait and wait until after church before you're actually allowed to open your presents. Then you have to wait and wait and wait for Christmas lunch. Then you have to wait even longer into the afternoon before you're actually allowed to go and play with your new toys. For a kid, Christmas is just a giant wait-a-thon. I personally thank God for whoever it was that invented those chocolate advent calendars. Has anyone got one going this year? Oh, you are missing... A few of you. You're missing out if you're not, you know. But it helps me as a parent because every morning the kids get up at 6.20 and they're like, how many more days till Christmas? And I'm like, far too many for us to bother counting, but here, have some chocolate, right? Problem solved. Tiny little morsels of presents just to kind of bide them off a little bit. It's not just kids, though, who have to wait for the goodness of Christmas. It's us adults as well. You know, you just swap out school holidays for work holidays, but otherwise it's much the same. We still have to wait for the day, wait for the gifts, wait for the lunch, wait for the guests to arrive, and then wait patiently for the guests to kind of take the hint that you're kind of done and please leave because I wanted to start relaxing again. Waiting expectantly, waiting patiently, waiting excitedly is part of what Christmas is all about. And it was part of what Christmas is all about the first time around as well. First time around, as you read the story of Jesus and his entry into the world, there is so much waiting caught up in it, and it's such a valuable lesson for us to learn today as God's people in how we approach life with Jesus. The world had to wait an awful long time for the Saviour. If you crack open your Bibles, read the Old Testament, it is, in essence, the giant history of a world that's gone topsy-turvy, off its rails, and that is waiting for healing, crying out for healing. The people of the Old Testament, they turn their backs on God. They go, no, 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 we got this. We've got our own way. Things are ruined. Relationships are stuffed. And it's the giant long story of God saying, I will put it back together again. I will make sure that this is put right, made good. He promises that this saviour will come, this person who is like the, the absolute key around which all of the restoration of the world hinges. And so God's people start waiting. Someone's going to come. Where is he? Someone's going to heal our wounds. Where is he? Someone's going to fix our relationship with God. Where is he? For hundreds of years, thousands of years, they're waiting patiently, waiting anxiously, knowing that without God coming to do this kind of help, life is hopeless. And then finally, he steps in and they get excited. And you, you see the excitement there for us in Luke's Gospel, in those two golden oldies, Simeon and Anna. Uh, they, they, in many ways, represent like all of the Old Testament of Israel, kind of waiting for this Saviour, and then finally He comes, and their joy is Israel's joy. Here's how it goes in Luke chapter 2. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Here's this guy who's been waiting for so long. He knows that a Saviour is coming. He's getting excited. He's on his way. Same goes for this woman named Anna. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she's 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. These two, Simeon and Anna, they they grew up, like everyone back in those days would grow up, hearing of the Saviour. He's coming. Sounds great. When's he going to arrive? And then begins this long, giant wait. Through their teens, their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, Waiting, waiting, waiting. Their hair's getting steadily greyer and it's probably starting to disappear if you're, if you're Simeon. A lifetime spent waiting, wondering, is God going to come through with the goods? Are we actually going to see God's salvation? Is it going to come true? 70 years of just kind of leaning hard on these promises. But then God delivers. And, and we see the joy on their faces as God delivers. Luke chapter 2 again, it says that when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The scene is like this. Jesus gets brought into the temple. He's a young kid. Uh, his parents have to do these kind of purification rites and dedicate him to the Lord. And then suddenly this old cudger comes running over and they're thinking, what's going on here? But he takes Jesus and he just starts pronouncing, yes, praise God, here is salvation. And no doubt Mary and Joseph, they're thinking, okay. But then along comes Anna to do the same thing. Coming up to them at that very moment, Anna gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I love Anna in the story. Anna is like the proud granny of the story. You know, she's gone and she's met the baby, she's met the grandchild and she is pumped. Uh, She's telling everyone about this cute little kid. I'm sure if smartphones had been invented back then, she would have taken 20 photos and she'd be showing them to anyone who stood still for five seconds uh, because she's proud. She's excited about this kid. And it makes perfect sense. Because after so long of waiting, they've been vindicated. God's come through with the goods. For us, I want us to ponder the question, how are you going at waiting? Because being a Christian definitely involves a heavy dose of waiting. If you don't know how to wait patiently, then you will struggle to stick it out as a Christian. If you don't know how to wait patiently, then you'll probably end up giving up on following Jesus. Because it's just kind of baked into the Christian life. you got to wait. This this season on the church calendar, I don't know if you you know this, but it gets called Advent. Advent calendars, that kind of thing. And, And Advent is all about not just the first coming of Jesus, but also the second coming. It's about the two comings of Jesus kind of celebrated together, remembering the time he came first, but then looking forward to the time he comes again. 
Because Jesus is in many ways like a kind of two-part present. A bit like if you get given for Christmas tickets to a show, you know, going to go see Hamilton or something. You know, you get the joy of getting the tickets the first time around. You're like, great, I'm so excited. This is wonderful. Thank you for your love. But then you get the double joy of then actually going to experience it. It's this double-barreled present. And Jesus is very much like that. Part one of the gift has been delivered. We've unwrapped it. It's awesome. Jesus comes along. He lives this perfect life, dies the death that we could never die, lives so that we can live forever. A darn good gift. But then part two is where it gets crazy good. Part two is where we get to experience all of the goodness that Jesus has kind of won and actually have it affect us in the fullest way possible. He ends anger. He ends sickness. He ends uh, brokenness. He ends death. The world gets put back together the way it should be. And Jesus promises that anyone who's been with him, anyone who's put their life in his hands, will be with him at that point, will belong in that fixed world. That's part two of the gift that is Jesus. It sounds so good. But here's the kicker. you got to wait for it, don't you? Waiting just like people waited for Jesus' first coming. Waiting just like Simeon and Anna were getting crazy old waiting for Jesus. You and I, still to this day, have to be ready to wait patiently. To not think that he's forgotten, to not think that we've dropped off his radar. Being a Christian involves a heavy dose of waiting. Here's something worth being reminded of, that for God, time is viewed differently. For us, what seems like an eternity is for God just a little blip. And his delay is because of his love. He leaves us waiting because he wants for there to be more time for more people to know the Savior. Here's how it gets put in 2 Peter 3. It says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a thousand days, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you're going to cut it as a Christian, if you're going to make it to the end as a Christian, you're going to need a big dose of patience. And another thing that we see in this passage that kind of goes hand in hand with this patience is you're going to need a big old dose of trust as well. You're going to have to trust that God hasn't dropped the ball on his plans. Again, I think we see this pretty clearly in the experience of Simeon and Anna. They They've been waiting their whole life for the Saviour. And then on this day, the day that we've kind of zoomed in on, they get told by God, He's here. The Saviour you've been waiting for is here. You're going to meet Him today. The hero who's going to fix all the world's problems and save you and heal your relationship between you and God, He's here. Imagine receiving that message and, and, and rushing to the temple knowing that you're going to meet Him today and then God leads you to a baby. Maybe you're not all that familiar with, you know, babies, one-month-olds. Maybe it's been a while since you've interacted with one. Let me give you a little crash course on what a one-month-old is good, is good at. If you want someone to look cute, pick a one-month-old. If you want someone who's a, who's a pro at drinking milk, pick a one-month-old. If you want someone who is an expert at crying and doing poos, then a one-month-old is the right person for you. If you want the, the grand champion in keeping people awake at night then you want a one-month-old in your life. 
but for just about anything else you can possibly imagine, they are frankly quite useless. Can, can a one-month-old heal the sick? Can a one-month-old drive out demons? Can a one-month-old raise the dead? Can you rely on this little wiggly baby to heal the entirety of humanity's relationship with God? On the surface, it just seems ridiculous. It's crazy to think this is, this is the experience that Anna and Simeon had as they rushed over to meet the Messiah that day in the temple. They met a baby. And I reckon if I'd been one of them too, if God said to me, today you're meeting the Savior of the world, and then a little baby got shoves in my hands, I'd be like, God, there's been a mistake. I think someone slipped up here. Someone sent the wrong package. Because this can't be how the world gets saved. Sometimes God's methods just seem ridiculous. I suspect that when the Spirit told Anna and Simeon that that day after all their waiting, all their patience, they were going to meet the Saviour, they were imagining that they would be meeting a man. Someone strong, someone ready to go, someone to start doing the work of salvation. I assume that they thought that they were about to experience it in its fullness for themselves. Instead, they get a baby. Instead, they get a promise that this one will do so much. And so critically, they have to choose at that moment to trust that God's got this. To trust that God hasn't dropped the ball, that he hasn't made a mistake, that he hasn't sent the wrong package. That's what Simeon does. He, he says that as far as he's concerned, his eyes have seen salvation. Three kilograms of wiggly, smelly, noisy salvation. He trusts that God will make this work out, even if it's not immediately obvious to anyone how this is going to work out. And for you and I today, we, we, need, a, we need that kind of same trust. Sometimes God's methods for doing what he's going to do in the world just seem wacko. They'll surprise us. They'll, they'll just be weird. I'm thinking of those times when people like us who want to serve Jesus, who want to make a difference in the world, who want to help others to know him, we have all this desire to make a big difference, but then we're let down by being weak or by being less skilled than we want to be or by, or by having these roadblocks in the way that hold us back. That happens all the time. And, and we think, God, what's, how does this fit into your plan? I'm thinking about those times when, when God's servants who want to make a difference, who maybe, maybe are making a massive difference, suddenly have their lives fall apart, cut short through sickness or death. And you think, God, how on earth does this fit into the plan? This, this cannot be part of what you had laid out. It's very easy to look at what God is doing through his plan and how he's executing it and to think, God, I think there's been some slip-ups. I think you've made some mistakes. Surely this particular thing doesn't fit in your plan. At those points, we need to be like Simeon and Anna. We need to trust that, yep, I'm not seeing it. I can't understand in my human head how this little thing can be used to bring out great goodness, but I trust that God's got it in control. Trust that God is going to make it work. 
Trust that, that God is the world expert in taking unlikely things and using them to do amazing, incredible, world-changing good. He does that all the time. Will we trust in the same way that Simeon and Anna did? It's, it's the kind of trust that you see reflected in the Apostle Paul a little bit. The Apostle Paul, he's given one heck of a job, right? His job is go and share the gospel with all the Gentiles who are like 99% of the world's population. Okay, a lot on Paul's shoulders. And the entire time he's doing it, he feels like he's not the right person. He's like, God didn't make me eloquent. God didn't make me smart enough. God didn't make me a good enough leader. At one point, he starts reflecting on this thing that he calls the thorn in his flesh. And it's a little bit unclear what he's actually talking about. It's kind of a bit of just a metaphor. But but clearly, something has happened to him that is affecting his body, that is holding him back from being able to go and do what he wants to do. But right as he's reflecting on this thing that seems to not be fitting with God's plan at all, surely this is a mistake. He says, no, no, no. God works through exactly this kind of thing. He says in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, this thorn in his flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. All these things that seem like a failure, all these things that seem like God's plan has gotten away from him. Paul says, no. This is exactly how God chooses to make things work. God chooses to work through weakness. You see that in the Lord Jesus, a little baby. You see that through you and me as well. When you are weak, it shows God's strength. We need to hear Simeon and Anna's story. Because we sometimes get impatient. Like, God, where's the good things? Bring them on right now. We need to hear Anna and Simeon's story because we can be so reluctant to trust God and trust His plan when we can't see exactly how to join all the dots, how exactly it's going to work out. Simple fact is that the first two people to take deep joy in Jesus, they had to wait decades to taste it. They had to rest heavily on promises, just trusting what they'd heard God say. We have it so much better. We can look and see exactly how that baby turned out, exactly what that baby did. In those 30-odd years that he lived, God made such a clear statement that he is determined to bring rescue. He is determined to bring restoration. His plans will not fail. We see so much more clearly than Simeon and Anna ever got a chance to. So we have every reason to trust and wait even more than they were able to. I get that for for some of us today, life is taking these twists and turns and you're thinking, how can this possibly be fitting into what God is doing in the world? I want to ask you to please resolve again this Christmas, decide again this Christmas that you're going to be someone who waits patiently for the Lord. That you're going to be someone who trusts hopefully that he will take you 
and use you in his plan. He's got this. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you that part of the Christmas story is this reminder that you can use small, weak things to do great good. Thank you also that a big part of the Christmas story is that we can wait patiently for you to act and know that you will follow through. You will come through with the goods. You won't leave us hanging. That's really hard, Lord. It's hard to have that kind of approach in a world that just demands action now, in a world that is sceptical unless we see results now. The pressure's on us as Christians to just give up and walk away because where's the good stuff that we were hoping for? Lord, please help us to wait patiently. Help us to trust that you've got this all wrapped up and taken care of. I pray that in the name of your Son. Amen.